0: It is 28 days before the election. And oi, has this been an election. But you see, there has been a singular thread running through it. The haves and the have-nots. For some, the country is on the rise, and for others, the country is on the decline. And last Thursday, with that swirling in my mind, I got in my car and I drove across the city from here in Presidio Heights all the way across to the edge of the Bay Bridge to meet with Todd. It was a meeting that shook me in a way that I had not anticipated. Todd was born in Pittsburgh and he went to Florida where he completed his undergraduate and his graduate degree before he moved to San Francisco for the first dot-com boom and it was a great move. He built a life here. He got married, he had a daughter, he survived the first 2001 dot-com bust, and he was climbing the ladder at his company. And then, 2008 happened. And by 2009, 65% of the company he had been working for was laid off. At first, Dottie wasn't worried. He had a master's degree, he was a hard worker. And recessions, they come and they go. But those weeks, they turned to months, And then the months, they turned into years. And he was forced to drain his entire 401k and sell his car. And after a year and a half, and after having sent out over 800 resumes, he still didn't have a job. And nearly everything that he had was gone, except for the warm embrace of his 10-year-old daughter. And so he sat on that very first night in a restaurant with his daughter sitting right next to him, texting, and texting, and texting, just trying to find a couch at a friend's house to sleep on for the night. And it was that night that his daughter joined an alarmingly fast-groping group of kids in our public school system. Homeless children. In the San Francisco Unified School District, one in every 25 students are now homeless. One in 25. We haven't seen these significant numbers since the Great Depression. In the 1980s, families comprised less than 1% of the homeless population. And now, families comprise more than 30% of the overall homeless population. There are more than 2,000 students in the SFUSD schools and that would fill every single room inside this building with standing room only. And last month, the U.S. Census Bureau released data that showed that California is now the leading state in the entire country in the category of desperate poverty. And on the flip side, according to Forbes, California now has more billionaires than any country except for China, and half of them are right here in the Bay Area. The Bay Area is accumulating wealth at a disproportionate rate. And at the heart of this discussion of the haves and the have-nots, we are sitting in the city, on the block, at the center of the storm. And while the second gold rush is creating countless millionaires and offering their children possibilities that couldn't have been imagined a generation ago, the story has not been the same for all families, or for Todd, or for his daughter. And even though Todd's main focus was his daughter, and making things as stable as possible for her because he knew in his gut that homelessness would have long-term effects and it could wreak havoc on her soul. And as much shielding as he tried to do, eventually, her friends found out that her family was homeless. Embarrassment and shame, it doesn't do justice to what that experience is like for a 13-year-old girl. But you see, Todd was right to be worried The Center for Disease Control has reported that the trauma caused by long-term homelessness robs children of their full potential. Prolonged stress caused by experiences such as homelessness, it leads to adverse effects, including permanent emotional or developmental damage. Homeless children are four times more likely to show delayed development, and they're more than twice as likely to repeat a grade, to be suspended, or to drop out of school. And this was not any child. This was Todd's child. And even though he didn't know the data, he knew it in his gut. And he did everything he could to shield her. We are in the second gold rush. And the tents have reappeared as if it's 1849. But this time, those tents are in the shadows of skyscrapers. In 1849, the Jews arrived to San Francisco before this was even a city. And the very first organization we formed, it was not a synagogue. The first place that we formed was the Eureka Benevolent Association. When ships came into our bay with poor, hungry passengers, the members of the Eureka Benevolent Association, they would jump into their little boats and they would meet these ships to welcome these people who were in desperate need. And they reached out their hands with their boats rocking in the bay to assist them ashore and to help them get established. The very first thing that unified the Jews of this city was caring for the poor. They saw that as their primary job. Congressman Julius Kahn, he said that America was Zion and San Francisco was his Jerusalem. In the memory of a Jew Jerusalem has always been not what the world was, but what the world could be. It's why at the end of every single Passover Seder, after discussions of how everybody should be free, we all yell, next year in Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem, it represents the place where our dreams come true. And San Francisco was our American Jerusalem. In 1849, it's not the only time when the Jewish community helped San Franciscans. In 1906, when virtually the entire city was destroyed by a massive earthquake, many thought that this city, it would never recover. But the city it turned to the Jewish leaders of San Francisco, and it asked them to help in relief efforts, and our Jewish ancestors, they showed up in profound ways. And after this earthquake, our predecessors constructed this building that we're sitting in. But this time, they were intentionally designing a fake dome on top, so that wherever a person was in the city, we could be seen, because we were a beacon to the city. But their focus, it was not just the outside, it was also the inside. Look up, look above you. See what's dangling above your head precariously? (laughs) Those chandeliers are teardrops Think what it means for us that inside the synagogue, that what is giving us light is our tears. A space built for us to reflect on the state of our souls, the state of our city, and the state of our world. On Yom Kippur, we pray and we contemplate until we are shaken out of our own success and our own pride, and we can see the realities around us. And you see that, that Right there is our primary job on Yom Kippur. We even have commentary in our tradition based off the Haftorah we're going to read tomorrow in Isaiah, which says that the prophetic cry to relieve homelessness is a religious duty, a duty which is preferable to fasting. I found it astounding. We all grow up hearing the vital importance of fasting, that this is a key part of Yom Kippur. And then our commentators, they come along, and they say that providing shelter for the homeless is preferable to fasting. Now, for many of us, the thought that 1 in 25 children are homeless in SFUSD, it brings tears to well within us, even if our facade does not show it, while for others our internal reaction may be much more complicated. Because this profound problem, it may seem intractable. And that's not a new reaction. Feeling that something is intractable and nothing can be done about it, it's normal. But doing nothing about it is antithetical to Judaism. In Deuteronomy, we read that this is not the first time in history that we've lived with needy in our midst, San Francisco is not a unique place, and yet there's always been haves and have nots. Thousands of years ago, we found written in our Torah that when you have needy people among you, do not harden your heart. What does that mean? Don't harden your heart. What does it look like? Because I know you, I know this congregation, I know this city. And most people would say to me, Harden hearts? Nothing to worry about. We're San Franciscans, it's the city of love. We feel bad for the poor. Therefore, we must not have hardened hearts. But you see, in Judaism, we don't measure anything by one's emotional feelings. We measure you by your actions. In Judaism, we don't care if you believe in God. But we do care what votes you do. We don't have charity in Judaism because charity comes from the Latin root, caristas which means you feel. And because you feel, you give. In Judaism, we care if you give. It's nice if you feel. But you're judged by your actions, not your feelings. Now look, you wouldn't be the first Jew to have a hardened heart. Elijah might have been that Jew. And I'm talking about the prophet from the book of Kings. Elijah was a passionate person who went around trying to bring truth to the world until honestly, he felt exhausted. He got to the point of feeling totally helpless because the task was seemingly insurmountable. And it's not that Elijah becomes apathetic, no. He becomes paralyzed because he knows what he needs to do, but he doesn't know how to do it and he gives up and he gives into his feelings of helplessness and exhaustion. And he retreats from the world because he doesn't know what to do. And he retreats from the world until he's quiet enough to hear a whisper. And it asks him, Ma Why are you here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And it's that whisper which has been echoing in our psyches for generations. It was echoing in the psyches of the Jews of San Francisco once they saw what they could do. When for the first time we could harness our abilities in ways that we had dreamed of for millennia. Having a hardened heart when you're a Jew, it means you say, it breaks my heart. And I weep to think that there are 70 busloads of SFUSD students every night that are homeless. But... There's nothing that I can do. Now that, that's a hardened heart. If in 1850, our San Francisco founders could abandon their stores and get into boats to help the new arrivals, if in 1906 the Jews could rebuild a city that was smoldering after a 9.0 earthquake, surely now, 110 years later, we can help solve the societal bifurcation that is accelerating and eviscerating the middle class. This will be bad for all of us. This problem to heal our city, it now rests on our collective shoulders. And we just happen to be lucky enough to live in the moment where we could cause the change that hundreds of generations that came before us could have only dreamed of. Now some of you, you might be wondering, what does this have to do with the Jews? I mean, I know it's in the Haftorah tomorrow, but shouldn't we care for the Jews first? Let me tell you something. If we want to ensure the next generation of Judaism, we need to show our children and our grandchildren that we mean what we pray, we mean what we sing, and that Judaism is not hollow or shallow, but that our Judaism is the driving force behind how we engage in the world. And in this particular endeavor, we will create a better society for others and also for our children and our grandchildren to live in. If you're worried about the future of Judaism, this right here, this is how you ensure it. You study, you pray, and then you do. As Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel said, we pray with our feet. We know we can do this. Last year, our congregation rallied for the refugee crisis in profound ways, from fostering children to sending 4,000 pounds of clothes. And the SEDIC council will be introducing new ways this year that we can continue to help the refugees. And in addition to continuing to help refugees across the world, we along with our kids and our grandkids now will have the opportunity to proudly help the children in our city as well. And I have something amazing to share with you tonight. Because there's actually a proven solution that can virtually end family homelessness in San Francisco. The campaign is called Heading Home. And its focus is rapid rehousing. Now Heading Home has been successful in Houston and Salt Lake City. And now we too have the collective power in this room right here to have the same outcome to virtually end homelessness in San Francisco. Now, let me be clear. Family homelessness, it's different than the individual homelessness you see in the ten cities. And while that is horrific, I believe that our first concern, our first intervention, has to be the children of San Francisco. In 2015, there was 1,303 homeless families, and they were homeless on average 441 days. And currently, a child and a family have to wait over 400 days to receive services. When children are homeless for more than six months, there's a decrease in executive functioning, which will affect these children for the rest of their lives. And the remarkable data shows that when we help homeless families with rapid rehousing, the housing retention rate is 92%. So here's what we're gonna do. Our congregant, Jeff Kozitski, is the Director of the Homeless Department in San Francisco. And he is leading this proven effort to end family homelessness. Now this is in conjunction with the San Francisco Unified School District, Hamilton Family, and Private Philanthropy. This initiative has the objective to help 800 SFUSD families find and maintain permanent housing in the next 20 months. If our community becomes engaged, we will help ensure that when a family is facing homelessness, their housing crisis can be resolved within 90 days. And in San Francisco, by 2020, the number of homeless families will have plummeted from over 1,300 to 253. As was written in the New York Times just yesterday about Salt Lake City's similar program, they wrote, their approach was simple. Before tackling the problems that led someone to become homeless, those in need first receive a place to live, and their program has been credited with reducing the number of chronically homeless people across the entire state of Utah by 91%. And this goes back to 2005. Now this is not gonna be easy, but collectively, if we really do galvanize this room and we galvanize this community, we will reshape the city as our forebearers did 110 years ago. Here are the three things that you can do. Now, the first is corporate giving. And many of the companies in our community they have foundations associated with them. Our member Ben Sparrow will coach us on how you can leverage your workplace to help the citywide effort. Now, Ben has successfully done this with Google.org, Symantec, and other companies. Number two. Individual crowdsourced giving. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you. This is gonna be expensive because it costs approximately $37,500 per family. But if we break it down, it's not insurmountable at all. What does it mean? It means that if each person in this room chipped in $20, we would not only take one family off the street, but we would also save the future of every single child in that family. And as we've always done, we'll be reaching beyond the walls of this dome. The San Francisco Giants, which is led by a committed member of our Emanuel community, has committed to using their 1 million plus person database as well as their social media outlets to mobilize the Giants community to join in this effort. And number three, volunteering. Now, if we raise the money, excuse me, when we raise the money, there is gonna be a lot of work that needs to get done. Our Artsetic Council is gonna need your assistance to help these families. Council leaders of Economic Justice, Anne Quaintance and Abby Vorobachick, they're gonna work with us to help these families so that their transition into their new home is as smooth as possible. And tomorrow, Ben, Ann, Abby, and others from our SETA Council will be in our courtyard to answer your questions and to share how you can get involved in this homeless initiative as well as learn about other powerful initiatives that the SETA of Council is offering. We're also going to email you a webpage to give you more information about all of this by this Shabbat. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that on November 4th, Jeff Kazitsky, the Director of Homelessness, will be speaking at our Shabbat services. And finally, Todd. Todd's not gonna to be at the Senate Council table tomorrow, because through Hamilton family, he found housing. And now he has a job. And tomorrow he will be at work. But he will be here tonight, after services, right by the Bema, if you, if you want him to answer any of your questions. Now, tomorrow, when we read in Isaiah, we shouldn't just listen to the off Torah admonition to provide shelter for the homeless. We should get up and act on this prophetic call. Now I want you to look up. Look back up. Look at those tears hanging above your heads. And as you look at those tears, think that just beyond this thin wall, our lights are shining out across the city. And one of those thousands of children, they may be curling up, and staring at that warm light pour out of our dome as they shiver, as the fall sets in. And their parents may have just sung to them, their bedtime song whispering in their ears because they know that their voice is the only steady and consistent thing in their child's life. And then each of us must look deep within our own souls until we find those tears. And when we find those tears, remember, Judaism, it doesn't measure you by your tears or your beliefs. It measures you by your actions. And if you listen very closely, you may also hear that whisper. The whisper that Elijah heard in the desert. The whisper the Jews of San Francisco heard as they got on their boats as part of the benevolent society a whisper which we've been hearing for thousands of years. You have chosen to be part of a synagogue, to be part of a community that has always been a beacon, a community that has always reached out from our boats to carry the have-nots with us onto the shores of this new American Jerusalem. And it's now up to each of us to choose if we will ensure the next generation, and to continue to be the beacon we've always been. Can you hear us, son?